Welcome, everybody, to the Teacher Coach Podcast here at Brook Point Studios in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Today, my special guest will be Scott Callahan, who is going to help me co-host this podcast. But on our first issue, we will explore the journey of Coach Scott Callahan as he talks about not only why he just recently got out of coaching, but also why he got into coaching at the very beginning of his career. Okay. All right. It's our pleasure to have uh, my co-host, Scott Callahan, with us here. Um, Scott, before we get into uh, maybe exploring this concept of getting out of coaching to spend more time with my family that I want to kind of dig into today, because you hear that a lot in the papers. First of all, let's tell everybody about um, what we're doing here. What, what, what are we doing here? What's this all about? Yeah. <laughs> I'm following your lead, TK. That's kind of how our relationship works. You've got, you've got the great ideas. You're the innovator. You're the you're the yeah. artist, and uh, I'm the engineer. I'm the <laughs> the practical aspect of this dynamic duo. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a, I'm an idea man, but I rarely follow through. So the fact that we've even gotten this far is pretty amazing. So maybe we can execute this. But our idea, obviously, we're we're sitting here during the coronavirus. Um, a lot of time on our hands. And I just think that um, I wanted to find a way to give back to the game um, in, a, in a way that is more of a hobby than to monetize this. But I think if we could ever make money off of this, neither of us would turn it down. But just kind of as a hobby, um, I guess. You're not getting rich coaching at Hoban? <laughs> uh, no, no, okay. I'm not. All right. But um, I, I thought maybe perhaps if we could deliver some content that, that maybe aspiring coaches or even veterans might get something out of, this could be fun. So in, in the vein of that, we're calling this the Teacher Coach Podcast. And the reason we're going with the concept of teacher coach is I think it's really, really important at the core of my belief that um, I don't want to say the best coaches per se, but I think the best model of coaching is to have somebody who is an educator in the building. Um, who is throughout the day living that grind of teaching five or six classes, grading papers in a true academic um, arena, um, and then has to go coach afterwards. Uh, That's a rarity in today's world. And um, I just think it's a concept. To to me, it's the best model of a a coach. I don't think it means that they're the best coaches, but I just think it's the best model of what what coaching at a high school should be. What, What are your thoughts on that, Scott? Well, I couldn't concur anymore. I mean, you know, when I coached at Holbin, uh, Dr. Biting was was the principal for the majority of my time there. And she was just uh, an incredible leader. And she always used to talk about how basketball or volleyball or lacrosse or tennis, those weren't extracurricular activities. Those were co-curriculars. And um, I, I got into teaching and coaching because some of the best role models in my life were, were my teachers and my coaches. And um, my best coaches were also an integral part of my day in school. Um, you know, just and, and from, from a teaching, st- from a coaching standpoint, rather, I've always thought that I'm the best at teaching when I'm in the locker room or I'm on the practice floor or I'm trying to make something that happens good or bad in the athletic arena into a teachable moment. So I think that's what separates the Ohio High School Athletic Association and other high school state associations 
from club teams, summer teams, fall teams, AAU, whatever you want to call it, um, is this, is this, um, extension of the classroom. Exactly. And I, I always kind of, um, my high school coach, Vince Gross was not a teacher, but yet he was a great coach. We won a state championship and I, and I still have a good relationship with Vince. So this is not to knock anybody who's not an educator, but there's a certain grind to the educator's life that the non-educator may or may not really live every day. For instance, I, I kind of get jealous of some guys who just walk right into school at three or three thirty, just to coach their sport because there's a freshness about being at the school um, that they have that sometimes we don't have. Um, so that that is one advantage to not being in the classroom. But I think when you're in the classroom all day and you're building those relationships with kids, they get to see you in a different light. Um, and holistically, it's just truly what I believe a, a, a coach should be, I guess. So that's why we called this podcast the teacher coach. And I think we'll explore that a little bit more, um, perhaps, as we continue on with this podcast, if we continue on with this podcast. But I hope we do. So today I kind of want to um, Scott Callahan here. Scott Matthew Callahan, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be my co-host um, as we try to produce good content in the area of education, basketball coaching, and just, I think, um, teaching and coaching in general, even beyond the educational setting. Uh, but I wanted to dig into, in our first episode, kind of getting to know uh, a little bit of Scott's journey. Uh, I think you'll get to know us as we continue and, and question uh, other people as we have third parties on here. But Scott, let's just get into it. Um, oftentimes when somebody gets out of coaching, uh, in the article that is written in the paper, you hear that they got out of coaching to spend more time with your family. So let's start with the end uh, on your journey. You were uh, you had an incredible career um, in coaching. You were at Hoban. You had a 22-0 and team, which is pretty phenomenal. And then you got out of coaching. Why did you get out of coaching? Um, why do people say that they're getting out of coaching to spend more time with their family? And are those false words? Is there, are they true words? Tell, tell us about that whole concept of getting out of coaching to spend time with your family, starting with maybe why you decided it was time to take a break. Yeah, well, before I get into the um, specific details of why I left coaching and why I decided to end my time at Hoban, um, I, I'm finishing up right now my 29th year of teaching. And of those 29 years, um, I've coached at some level. Um, for 27 of those years. So this is one of those two years from my teaching career that I have not coached a basketball team. Um, so to answer your question specifically, you know, um, we, not this past season, but it would have been, I guess, 2018, 2019 was my last year coaching at Hoban. And uh, we had six just incredible seniors and uh, we, we had an undefeated regular season and a league championship. And um, we didn't realize, you know, our dream of playing in the Final Four, winning a state championship. But it was certainly one of the most uh, satisfying and um, memorable seasons and group uh, of people, uh, uh, parents and, and players and, and coaches that I've ever been a part of. Um, and, and honestly, I mean... You know, I laugh when you ask me that question because that is the canned response almost every single coach gives. And I would say 85% of the time when I hear it, 
um, excuse my excuse my expression here, but I call BS on it because um, I know there's just so much more to it. You know, whether it's frustration with administration or a, a negative peer, I mean, parent group or, um, you know, looking for a better job or whatever. But for me, it honest to goodness was um, I just needed to I just needed to prioritize my family over basketball for the first time in in over a decade. And um, I'll say just two more things about it. You know, I was watching Phil Jackson be interviewed in the documentary Last Dance last night. And um, I've always loved Phil Jackson, but I gained so much more respect for him. And he said something that really resonated with me. He said his belief is the lifespan with a team is no more than seven years. Mm -hmm. And I know for me in coaching, I've taken two one-year sabbaticals because I I can't wait to get back into coaching. Mm -hmm. I just needed a sabbatical. Yeah. And um, I have a senior son who's graduating here in a month and um, he does not play basketball. He has a different journey. Uh, he, he plays tennis and ran cross country. But I just with him graduating, this being his senior year, I knew I needed to be there for him as he transitioned after high school. And then I had another I have another son who is finishing up his freshman year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have a, a different kind of uh, work life where I teach at Wadsworth High School, where I've been for 29 years, but I was coaching at Hoban for wow. close to a decade. And uh, my wife and I, our dream was for our youngest son to go to Hoban and play for TK Griffith, my favorite <laughs> coach in my favorite program. Um, but he made a different decision. And um, ultimately, I honored that decision. And when he made that decision and just life circumstances, I thought, you know what? Um, if, if I always am preaching faith and family, then basketball, um, at least for a year, I've got to live that out to my family. Right. Now, Scott, here's the, the digging into that concept that I want to get into. My family wants to see me less. Okay, they they don't want me around the house. So if I got out of coaching to spend more time with my family, it would be a travesty. Uh, And in fact, I I know that you always included your family with coaching. So isn't in your mind coaching kind of a family enterprise anyway? I know Marquisa would be at the game. Solomon would oftentimes be dribbling through the cones. Um, You know, there are many coaches who, uh, not many who will listen to this, but maybe one day they will, um, who, like me, you, you sometimes feel that that burden of coaching and you kind of want to get out. You kind of want to take a break. Um, what, what, what do you think? You've had the year off. It, it is, is the family time um, part of that? Uh, is, is it better when you're in coaching or when you're not in coaching? I guess that's my question. Yeah, another uh, another in, insightful, um, I guess, epiphany on your part. Um, I'll answer it in a, in, in a few ways. Um, I think I'm more present at home this year. Um, have I actually spent more time with my family? I think I've I've made the the time matter more. 
Um, I'm probably like you and almost every coach who would listen to a podcast like this. Um, when I, when I'm coaching, I'm thinking about coaching, um, almost nonstop. Um, and, and it is a, an emotional, spiritual endeavor for me as well. And I throw everything into coaching, whether I'm coaching, um, a, uh, middle school travel team with your son and my son and a group of family friends, or I'm coaching varsity girls basketball or varsity boys basketball. It's, it's all of me. Um, so, but my wife has said to me, you need to coach. And, (laughs) and, and so I resigned almost a year ago. Right. It has been a calendar year. Um, I was able to watch your team play. I was able to go to uh, friends' practices. I was able to go to college games. I watched my ninth grade son's team play every game. But, um, you know, my wife and I have talked about it, and um, I haven't used these words with her, but I'll share them with you. I don't know what that says about the relationship I have with my wife, but when I'm coaching, I feel alive when I'm not. I'm more in survival mode and I'm more in routine mode. Um, so maybe yeah. quality time with the family is good, right. but uh, if I want to be living life and giving back and, and, yeah. and I guess uh, chasing my calling, I, I have to coach. Absolutely. You, you said something there that I think nobody understands unless you're a head coach. And that is, um, and I want to dig into this in another podcast, but being present, um, I can tell you that for the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, any weekends, there's no way that a head coach is present for his family if he has all of his chips into what he's doing. Because spiritually, emotionally, coming off a tough loss, getting ready for the next game, you are rarely present uh, around the people who you should be present for. That That's the one thing that I'm kind of I guess I'm jealous of as a long-term coach. I would love to have that freedom and that relaxation to not be so obsessed um, and emotionally drained and, and emotionally and spiritually and logically kind of tied into that next game. You know, that that's the part that I would love to take a break from, but that's also the part that makes you feel alive. Yeah. So- and, and I want to say something about that because, um, you know, I'm the kind of coach I actually love summer. I, I love, you know, little kids camp. I, I love opening the gym for open gym. I like going to the weight room. I like summer league. I like shootouts. I like all those things that a lot of coaches don't love. Um, and I love practice. I love watching film. I love scouting. The thing I don't love so much is that feeling right before a game. <laughs> that, that that feeling that um, it, to me it's kind of like uh, I've always said one of my best friends is is a is a Hall of Fame National Hall of Fame high school wrestling coach John Gramuglia right and, and he he was the coach at Wadsworth Wrestling for thirty five years and he won a state championship I always say to Coach G that's what everybody calls him I always say to Coach G. The reason I respect wrestlers so much is just because it's two guys out on a mat and you're completely exposed. Right. You can't hide. Yeah. And, and the nervousness I used to get as a coach was, 
I just didn't want to fail everyone. I didn't want to fail my team. I didn't want to fail the administration and the parents if my kids didn't act appropriately or perform well enough. And, and, and I know that that's maybe not the good way to approach it. Yeah. So anyway, I thought, you know what, I'm going to love just going to games, your games, you know, uh, Chris Hassinger's games, my son's games, um, Andy Boost games at Wadsworth people. I don't even know. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'd go to the game and yeah, it, it's fun to watch a game and not have any responsibility, but you don't yeah. feel alive. Right. You right. don't feel a part of yeah. it. And, and that's yeah. that's what basketball gives you. It right. gives you that feeling of being a part of relationally with something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. And and you there's so much here to pry into, but um, the presence at home is, is something that I would love to delve into, but also the feeling before a game. And, that, and that's the difference a little bit between the teacher coach and the coach who may not teach for a living. Um, and when I say teacher coach, it's not that you're just a teacher. You can be a teacher coach and, and certainly be a businessman who just comes in and, and coaches. So the teacher coach is more of a philosophy to me. Um, however, literally, if you're a teacher coach, you're in the building. So it's, it's both a philosophy to me and it's also what you pragmatically do every day. It's your career. Um, but when you're a teacher coach, Scott, and talk about this a little bit, there's no worse feeling than um, grinding through that entire day um, with that game looming. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been sick at 9 a.m. On a, on, a, on a game day, and that game is not till 7. And the worst time is between 3 p.m. and 7. Between 3 p.m. and 7, I don't go home for any of our games. I just stay up there. And you, you have team meal. You have chapel. You have film and a little bit of a study session, but that time between three and seven is just nerve wracking, isn't it? We'll have to dig into that. But um, how did how did you grapple with that time from after school till game time? Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about being present. For me, you know, I I, I teach high school English. I teach tenth grade and in usually twelfth grade. Uh, I teach creative writing. I teach honors English. I teach academic English. Um, I usually get to school at six, between six and six fifteen, because that's a quiet time where I can kind of gather my thoughts. I can drink my tea, but then too, I can get ready mentally for the rest of the school day. And, um, you know, if I have a game teaching the, 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 the workload that I teach, the intensity with which I teach, I approach it like a coach. I have energy and enthusiasm. I love teaching. I love my kids, just like almost every single teacher. Um, but that kind of makes the time go quickly. Um, but then for me, from 2.45 till 7 or 7.15, that seems like an eternity um, because it is um, – you, you you no longer are distracted with the reality of school and right. the 125 students you teach. All of it kind of narrows in on, okay, now um, everything that you've been working for, it's kind of like, I guess you're a painter and your, your painting is going to be on exhibit and all these critics are going to come watch who are much better painters than you. At least they think they are. Exactly. And, um, you're kind of uh, 
off in the background and there's a hidden camera and you can hear what they're saying about you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an angst and a nervousness and an excitement that um, sounds melodramatic. I mean, come on. I was, you know, I coached high school basketball. Right. And, and you know, I, I coached high school girls basketball. It, it, uh, it is good a school as I could have hoped or prayed for with unbelievable support, great parents, talented kids. But on a Saturday afternoon, TK, we'd be lucky to have three, 350 people at a game. Right. You know, a lot of times. But yet it matters. But exactly. It matters. Mm hmm. Um, I think for people pleasers like us uh, who like to get along with people, I, that digging into really feeling like you're letting people down um, is a key, I think, component that makes coaching so great and so terrible. Because un, uh, inevitably, every game you're going to let people down because there's always about five kids who don't play, um, maybe, m maybe more. Um, you're going to lose sometimes, so there you feel like you're letting people down. Um that, that, that whole thing of being a people pleaser is a huge part of coaching that I don't think people understand unless they've been in it. Um, and that disappointment that comes from, even when you win, you might have disappointment that, that gosh, I wish I would have played Johnny more. You know, I wish I would have played Brad a little bit more. I, 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 I wish maybe, maybe we were up 20. I could have pulled the plug early and got some kids in. You, you, no matter what, you're always fighting that uphill battle like Sisyphus. Um, and you never can quite achieve it of, of pleasing everybody. It's, it's, it's that kind of um, psychology at work, is it not? It is, but it's a double-edged That need to please other people and that desire to not let anyone down is kind of the drive and the competitiveness that compels you to try to do your very best for everyone all the time. But to, to kind of give you an example of that, you know, it, you, you coach at Hoban and in Barry gymnasium and the, the girls locker room, like the boys locker room, you, you have to walk down steps to get there. And it probably takes, you know, from the time you decide I'm leaving the court until you get to sit down in your, your tiny closet office outside the girls basketball locker room. It maybe took me, you know, 120 seconds. And for that 120 seconds, if we won a game, I would feel, I would feel pride and I would feel uh, 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 some happiness and, um, uh, excitement and there would be like there'd be energy in my step and then I would always sit down I'd let the girls always kind of gather in the team room and decompress and have their time and by the time the rest of my coaches got down to that office I was already thinking TK about right. who didn't we play enough right and, and I mean this did did we treat the other team fairly especially if we had more talent than them right and then you'd walk into that team room and even if you beat your rival and it was a great feeling, the first thing I was doing is I was trying to make eye contact and kind of gauge body language. Do, do I need to get with someone when we're done with the team and make sure she is okay? And, yeah. and, 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 and when she goes and meets with her parents, if that's going to be okay. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, that's a double-edged sword. It gives you that drive and that, 
competitiveness, but then it prevents you from enjoying the whole journey as much as you should. Absolutely. So what advice would you give someone who is contemplating getting out of coaching um, who truly has done it for, let's say, five to 10 years and it's kind of in their blood? Um, I guess what, what advice would you give someone who, who is thinking of getting out, but they're a little bit lukewarm on getting out? Don't do it. <laughs> you know, everybody, it's so funny. And I think this is a defense mechanism. So many of my coaches, for coaching friends, whether I went to their practice or went to the game or talked to them on the phone or we exchanged texts, everybody's first line is, boy, I'm, I bet you're glad you're not dealing with this. Right. And I was honest with everybody. I always said, because what you realize, Scott, I think, Scott, too, is. Scott, can you can you repeat that line? You broke up and I want everybody to hear that. Yeah, I think you realize coaching is such a privilege. Forget about the challenge. Forget about everything that 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 is a pain in the butt. Forget about the investment. Um, it's such a privilege. And if it's true, if it's a hobby, okay, I can't relate to that. Right. But if it's really who you are and it's it's kind of your walking sermon, it's 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 your calling, yeah. um, I think you gotta hold on. If you're in a good place and there are good people around you, um, life's too yeah. short. I think yeah. you gotta hold on to it and um you know, I think what you have to do is you have to rely on, I think you have to be honest with other people that maybe you're tired or you're worn out. You have to give up some responsibility and you, you have to have a great staff because a great staff can sustain you. And I was blessed. Don't get me wrong. I was blessed with remarkable coaches that I coach with. They weren't assisting me. They were coaching with me. Um, but two, what's so difficult about high school now is maintaining assistant coaches. Yeah. Um, none of my assistant coach, one of my assistant coaches coached in the building. All my other assistant coaches when I was at Hoban, they all coached outside the building and their their jobs, either through retirement or promotion or moving, were, were taking them in different ways. Yeah. Um, so th that, that can be a stress too. Absolutely. So, Scott, I'm going to wrap up our first podcast here because I think we really did a good job of exploring this concept of getting out of coaching to spend more time with our family. Um, but I think as we journey towards um, to wrap up to wrap up this topic, I, I want to say, when are you going to get back into coaching? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, my my son is is going to be a sophomore next year, um, so. I, I can't go attempt to be a head coach somewhere because I, I would miss too much of what he's doing. Um, but I don't need to be a head coach. Uh, I, I told you this, my, my probably favorite times as a coach um, have been when I was a varsity assistant coach or when I was a, a ninth grade basketball coach. Um, so um, I'm going to answer it this way, sooner than later. And um, it doesn't matter the level or the title to me. Uh, yeah. Coaching is coaching, and I, I can't wait to do it again. 
Scott, as a varsity assistant, do, do you feel as, I mean, honestly, when you were at Hoover or wherever you might have been as a varsity assistant, do you have those same grum bellies and, and, and nervous twitches and, and feel like you have to go to the hospital because you're going to have a heart attack before every game? Or is it a little bit looser? I'm just, I'm just curious. Well, um, now this is a while ago, over 10 years ago, but, um, you know, I, I was blessed to coach with Paul Wackerly. Uh, for a year at Hoover when he was uh, the girls' head coach there. And um, Paul was, you know, as good a guy I could have asked for to work for because he gave me a ton of responsibility. So if you're working for a guy or if you're working for a woman who is giving you responsibility and you're all in, um you 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 have butterflies, but they're not the same type of butterflies. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's the beauty of head coaching, right there, folks. They're not the same type of butterflies. All right, Scott Matthew Callahan, TK Griffith, episode one in the books. Scott, I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you so much for your time. I'm not going to hang up on you. Hang hang tight. But everybody, please check us out at the Teacher Coach Podcast. You can go to tkgriffith.com to access that podcast, or you can go to your favorite podcast service, um, be that Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, wherever you get podcasts, you can check this out. And you can also check out the audio on YouTube at Timothy Griffith. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys for listening, if anybody made it this far.